Yep, hopefully that is the music that I've edited in later on. This is the Lars Resort, still brought to you uh, by Betson with me, Lars Severson. I've done this in the wrong order now. But you know, there's nothing wrong with freshening up the intro, not saying the exact same words in the exact same order every single time. Um, slightly more chaotic and less formal today because I decided to just, just head straight. I'm on the call. We brought Peter back, and instead of recording a separate intro in my own time and in, in controlled circumstances, I decided to just do it on the call. As, as Bill O'Reilly once said, the immortal words of Bill O'Reilly, we'll, we'll do it live. He said some other things as well that I'm not going to say because I don't want to spend time putting bleeps in when I edit this. Anyway, <laughs> we're, we're doing, this is one of those, I managed to make Peter laugh before introducing him. Very happy with that. Um... This, we haven't done, it feels like, I mean, Peter has been on very recently for our Klopp episode, but it feels like we haven't done one of our Monday debriefs in a little, t- a little while. Oh, huh. So I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to have Peter on, the great Peter Welpton, back on the pod. Thank you so much for visiting the Lars Resort. At this point, like, some guests get a fixture in the resort, some kind of thing. I feel like the entire, an entire wing of the resort has to be called, like, the Peter Welpton Wacky Zone or something by now. Like, I, half of the resort, it belongs to you, sir. Oh, that's too much. I just want a simple uh, one-room suite. That's okay. All, that's all I need. The, I don't the need Peter Welpton suite. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's in the Peter Welpton suite? Uh, I don't think anybody wants to know. <laughs> so you have to book it to find out. Yeah, that's I'm, a great. That's a great idea for a suite. Uh, like just marketing wise, nothing on the suite. website. It's just the Peter Welpton suite. There are no pictures. It's just a picture you have of to a sign door. An NDA. You have to sign an NDA. Like if yes. you put any of this on TripAdvisor, then we'll sue you. Like yeah. no one must ever know yeah, what no. is in the Peter Welpton suite. You have to book it to find out. It's just a picture of a door, and you don't know what's behind said door. <laughs> nope. No, and I'm mad at myself no. when I we decided we were going to do this. I was going to bring, I was going to go get uh, uh something, a drink with a straw, so that I can mm-hmm. make slurping drinking sounds like we were at a resort with an um, with a drink with an umbrella in it. And I totally forgot to do that. So maybe next oh, we'll, time we'll do that next time. We'll do okay. that next time. There'll be time. There'll be time. A weekend of football has occurred. It has. How, did you enjoy it? How do you feel about it? Uh, I thought it was uh, good uh, overall. I, there's a lot of interesting things happening in our in, in this uh, particular season, and most of all, I think the question everybody is wondering is, you know, do, is Man City inevitably going to do this, or do we actually mm. have a real race, Lars? Are these I fully three agree? F- potentially, maybe four teams. No, it's just three. No. Are they going to turn this into uh, full for our, on our dollar entertainment by the end of this thing? Yeah, did, I, I love that as a question. I think there's a great place to start this podcast uh, because I've I've heard, obviously that is what it feels like right now because if you look at the table, Liverpool are top with 54 points. Manchester City are second with 52, but a game in hand. Arsenal are third with 52 points and having just put up a couple of really, really big performances. Like, it feels like a time where you kind of have to take Arsenal a little bit seriously. Um, performance against Liverpool, probably the best they've played under Arteta. I, I, I'm tempted to go that far. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of the most impressive 90 minutes of football they put up under Arteta. And then just, you know, this is me. You taught me some sort of American terminology. Would you say that West Ham received a trucking or that they were pantsed <laughs> on Sunday? Which one of them do you feel is more appropriate? I think they got pantsed while being also trucked. Yeah, that seems like the worst kind of, of defeat. Was, yeah, both pantsed both. and trucked. Yeah. yeah, no good. 
Yeah. So so yeah, Arsenal of course looking 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 very sharp. The thing that really intrigues me about this, it, it, just really looking at the table and having watched the games recently, you 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 feel like you kind of have to say, of course, there's a title race. Like this is so close. But I checked the betting odds um, earlier today before the before the Chelsea game, and and the odds compilers, like the bookmakers, do not think this is close at all. Um, from memory, at Betson, I think the City are one fifty five to win. Which I mean, most people listening who work in decimal odds will know what that means. I can actually get the calculator out. Uh, this is a good point for an edit. Let me just get a second. Um, <laughs> You're listening to Lars collect and bring back supplies. Stop being funny. I might decide to not edit it then. I don't, anyway, uh, um, Manchester City were 155 to win the title earlier in the day, which has an implied probability of 64%. Uh, so that's that's quite a big sort of likelihood, whereas I believe Liverpool were something like 3.5, which has an implied probability of 28%. And I think Arsenal were, 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 were well, way the hell out in like 6 or something. So around sort of 15, 16% probability thereabout. Does that sound all right to you? Is that where you think where you think we are? Yeah, you know, I keep... 60, 65% chance of a Chelsea title? A what? A Chelsea? I think... I think you said no, Chelsea. Chelsea. What am I talking about? Man City. Good lord! I think the chance of a Chelsea title is. Uh, <laughs> don't know what odds they're offering, but it doesn't matter. I'm not taking it. Yeah, about sixty-five percent chance for a Man City win. How do you feel about that? I think that sounds right, and clearly, those who are uh, basing their entire industry on giving up money or uh, giving away money probably know this better than I do. So, I, yeah, I would say that is right. I do think that if you just kind of dig into the schedules. You do get a sense that, despite the fact that they still have to go to Anfield, the rest of the season, I think, lines up better for City. Definitely than it does Arsenal, because Arsenal, through the season, still has to make a bunch of big-time road trips that Liverpool and City don't have to do. So it won't surprise me to see Arsenal struggle a little bit more, but I'm hopeful that it at least becomes close before the end of it but who knows man so that's a really good point i've never thought about this uh the, the fixture list yeah i brought it up here arsenal have got city away they've got united away and they've got tottenham away i don't know maybe brighton counts as a difficult road trip as well i don't know uh yeah arsenal have got a couple of trips there there are they're not looking quite as uh, but then again yeah manchester city they do have to go to anfield we've got that happening they also have to go to tottenham so there are but i guess it it feels like so. I actually that's something I was going to do in this episode. Uh, important sort of corrections. I I made a oblique Star Wars reference uh, <laughs> last episode, and I think I got my nerd my nerd my nerdery wrong. Uh, Did somebody yell I think at you I, on I, social media? No, about it? no one has. I think whilst editing, I realized I may have messed this up. Messed this up uh, because. Um, I said something about how Man City kind of feel like they're the Death Star and they're just kind of rounding the moon of, of Yavin and the sort of rebel base will be in sight very, very soon. And I'm just not convinced there are any X-Wings out there that can that can explode them or something. That was the metaphor I was going for. But of course, they weren't rounding the the moon of, of Yavin. I believe the base was on one of the moons of Yavin, whereas Yavin, I think, is a gas giant, uh, technically, in the world of Star Wars. Which feels like the kind of nerdy, nerd-related pedantry that we should welcome here at at the Lars Resort. But my point is more: 
I don't think this is a Yavin scenario where the X-Wings will come to save everyone. I think this is a Scarif situation where, where poor Diego Luna is down on the surface and, and, and <laughs> is about to have a very bad time uh, <laughs> because uh, Ben Mendelssohn is on orbit on the station. No, he's not on orbit on the station. He's also down on the ground. Yeah, sorry, I need to rewatch the Star Wars films as it turns I out. I just want the listeners everyone, ev- ev- of the... I want the listeners- everyone's in trouble. That's all I'm saying. Everyone's in trouble. I just want the listeners of the resort to... <laughs> Uh, understand the context in which all of that nerdity just happened because in the minutes before we began recording Lars informed me that as a child he played the euphonium so when yeah, you people pl- know this okay I did not <laughs> I know so. this so when I, I it this. really becomes in a complete and wonderful picture of Lars that I am learning uh, between I'm so that much and more of a nerd <laughs> it's so much more of a nerd than you ever thought possible <laughs> It's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, everybody is in danger, in my, Lars. I think they are, because I think what we saw from City this weekend, it was ominous. Not that they beat Everton at home, because that's always that was always going to happen, but it's the whole Erling Haaland being fit and happy and kicking the ball into the goal again. Okay. And K- KDB being there and putting through balls into his path again. This is kind of what City have been missing and uh, it, it spells danger, I think. I got a bunch of questions about that for you because I, in my watch of that game is I thought City actually didn't look great or they looked they looked disinterested for long parts of that game, I thought. Everton, no, I, I don't, th- I, don't I, I don't disagree, but that was kind of why City... That, that was the weird thing that happened with City last season is that they didn't always look flawless. It's just that with Holland, he's added something different to them. I'm sure there are like uh, tactics nerds out there. I know they're an easy bad guy for me when I talk about these things. I'm sure there are tactics nerds who can write very compelling articles about how City were uh, more fluid and more interesting without Erling Haaland. I, I'm sure you can make that case. But I also don't think it's a coincidence. It's that it's that with Erling Haaland they finally won the treble. I think having that guy up front who is as efficient as he is with his chances, I think it just changes what they can do. Even if the way they do it doesn't always look as as convincing and I thought that's what that game was a great example of okay and of course him and KDB haven't played together a lot this season or for the last few months anyway and I just they're not always going to be in a situation where they're in the league and the other team has to push up a bit but that second goal is like oh yeah yeah that's what they're going to do isn't it like a great through ball from KDB and Ali Holland just running over poor old Jared Branthwaite who, who found himself in the way of, of the <laughs> of the steam train there and you know that was such an alley hole and go i agree and i'm gonna hold on because what i wanted to my observation about the weekend out of this was arsenal had a easy time of it and while manchester yeah. city and liverpool both won remember it was one one at halftime with liverpool and burnley and yeah. and you know it took two Erling Holland moments for them to win that game. And I think they struggled more in their performances than Arsenal did in its performance. My point being is, is that if for those people listening that are, or you or I that are hoping for some sort of three-way race, there were some signs there that maybe Liverpool and city aren't always going to just go out and stomp people and run them over that they may have to uh, exert themselves. And especially as now champions league is coming back in and they're going to have, you know, extra things to think about and all the other domestic cup stuff going on. Those are the things that keep me hopeful that this actually turns yeah. into a race and not just, uh, you know, 
uh, rounding nope. Yavin or whatever the reference was. It um, is it is a good point. It is a good point. Yeah, the the, the, the Yavin is the planet that they're rounding. The base is on the fourth moon, right. I think is Thank the thing. You. But, but but I do like as an as an aside, I loved Sean Dyche on Match of the Day. Like I don't like I don't my sort of fatwa on Sean Dyche has been largely buried. Like I appreciate him being in the league. I don't love watching his teams, but I think, you know, styles make fights, right? So you do want teams that play in different ways in the league. And then he does this sort of goofy, weird stuff like ban hats and stuff. Uh, you know, he had a young player, uh, I think it was Dobbin, who scored earlier in the season. And after the, he scored, this must have been his first goal for the club. Great goal. And afterwards, Daesh was saying he seemed to be more happy about the fact that he hadn't danced in his celebration. Like his celebration was very authentic. That's what Daesh was excited about, not the fact that a young player had scored a goal. He does come out with these absurd things the Sean Dyche and we do every soap opera needs its villains but he had this thing after the game where he he told match of the day which is the sort of big flagship highlight show in the UK that uh, you know the defensive side of it was very good they scored with their first shot on target he said which sounds yeah that sounds good but the thing about it is they had 14 shots before that goal. It's just they weren't on target. It's like, this is absurd. You get, if they have this whole shots on target thing, City weren't at their best, but they did have quite a few chances. It's just they, their shots were not on the frame. So then just turn out, you've, you've conceded 14 shots in the game. Where it's like, oh, they had no shots on target. This is nonsense, Sean Dyche. Anyway, that's a, that's a bit of... Well, that, I, I think... That, that, might, that, might, that might not make the edit, but... Uh, yeah, okay, well, in fairness to Mr. Dyche, when you're, when you're Everton and you're fighting the battle your fight you pick the uh the 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 silver lining pieces as you can right you just i guess you do yeah so that my question for you which of the two erling holland goals did you did you like better Mm. because you are the guy that wrote a you wrote the book on erling holland so which one did you like the physical I i like them for different ways i think the first one is nice because he's fully he, he's actually like trusting his right foot for the first one. I think earlier in his career, he probably would have tried to maneuver that onto his left in some ways and then maybe lost the opportunity to finish. But I think he's getting better at just, you know, sometimes you got to trust your right foot and he has a big swing at it and he makes really good contact and, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really good finish. But I think there's something about just the way he bowls Branthwaite over. Like, Branthwaite's not a small guy. Like, no, he's a I big agree. Str- he, he's a big, strong defender and Erling just kind of runs into him and he falls down. I mean, I think that's it's a very sad satisfying thing to watch someone who has the physical strength that like big strong premier league defenders will just bounce off them but then he's also faster that it, it's just a surreal like physical thing to watch I, I think i would favor the second goal actually if i had to pick one i agree because I, I can't think of another striker in the premier league that would score that goal in that manner both in terms of fighting off you know winning the physical battle and then making that perfect placement and getting around the keeper, you know, putting the ball past the keeper. I, I just can't think of anybody else that would have done that in that situation. No, I, I, I know I'm, I'm, we're on the same page in that one. But I think you make you make I, I applaud your efforts to to make the case for the title race. It is a really interesting sort of fly in the ointment that all three teams are in European competition still, and we don't know how that's going to shape things. I'm I've, I've said this before. I'm 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 almost expecting is a big thing but i i am almost expecting liverpool to win the europa league i don't i don't see who's i i desperately hope that we get some kind of showdown with bayer leverkusen in that tournament i'm not sure how the bracket works out if that's possible but that would be amazing but then if you look in the europa league 
Liverpool are massive favourites, and then it's Leverkusen, and then after that it's Milan. This is not a great Milan team. Brighton, like, I don't think so. West Ham, probably not. Um, Roma, maybe now they've gotten rid of Mourinho, who knows, but like Benfica, Villarreal, Atalanta, Sporting, Galatasaray, like Liverpool is quite a lot better than all of these teams. So I, I, I'm almost expecting them to win that, which means they've, they're going to be having two-legged tiles, ties in that tournament all spring. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, they they might tank it. They might just decide to to go and and play the kids because if they see the Premier League in sight, I don't know. But I think that's going to affect things. But then again, both City and Arsenal, you wouldn't be shocked to see them go to the Champions League final either. So, I mean, it is very finely poised. I guess the reason I wanted to have a conversation about it and have a segment about it is it's intriguing to me how the betting markets don't seem to think this is close at all. when uh, when you know when the when the points numbers are are very very close and actually if we if we sort of do what i do if in doubt look at the xg the xg is pretty close as well i'm going to check that now very quickly yeah actually if you look at just xg difference actually arsenal have got the best numbers so far ahead of man city hmm. uh, and and ahead of liverpool so it's really intriguing to me that again as you mentioned the the entire industry that kind of stands and falls on getting these calls right think City overwhelmingly think City will do it is that just based on history well or or I don't know well I think you know there are a, a few different websites that specialize in ranking the difficulties of schedule and mm. if you look at them they almost all universally agree that if you were to just do the rest of the season weeks 25 through 38 City, Arsenal, and Liverpool, in that order, have the easiest schedules remaining in the Premier League. Hmm. Well, that that would be a notable factor. And and the thing that I keep pointing to as well, I, I and I'm I'm loath to say it again because I think I said it in the last episode of this pod. So if you nod off over the last fifteen next 60, 15 seconds, uh, my dear listeners, I do apologize. But the three most important players in the treble team, I would argue, was Holland, De Bruyne, and Stones, just because of how unique Stones' role was. And I don't believe those three have started together since the the, the Champions League final because there's been injuries and, and stuff. So, um, so, so, so we haven't again. The Death Star has not been fully armed and operational yet, and they're still two points off the top of the league. Like we've been through this period with a game in hand, no less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been through this phase when they were clearly vulnerable and they just haven't dropped that many points. So I don't disagree with the uh, betting markets in the sense that the most likely thing is that they just get it together and win it. Yeah. But it's interesting to me that it's so close in the table, but then not close at all in the in the prices. Let me, I'll share something from an American perspective that, you know, I that will help put that. into the thinking about this, which is it. Uh, so last night was the Super Bowl. Here in the United mm, States, I've heard rumors about this. Right, so the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl again for the. It's the first back-to-back winner in 20 years. The first time against the Wisconsin Bobcats. No, no, or the Minnesota Timberlands or something. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> Timberlands. And uh, and ever and and a lot of people bet against Patrick Mahomes, who has now mm-hmm. won. His uh, third Super Bowl. He's been to this. I mean, the the kid has only been a professional footballer, a football player for like five, six seasons, and he's he's been in the Super Bowl like four times already. It's ridiculous. I, this is unheard of. Yeah. And a lot of people said before this game, don't bet against the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. 
And a lot of people did and thought the 49ers were going to win this. But lo and behold, Patrick Mahomes, despite all of the odds and everything that was going wrong for the Chiefs and all of the reasons why to bet against them last night, lo and behold, he pulled it out anyway, and they won that game. And he's won his third Super Bowl and twice in a row, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the thing that as much as I try to talk myself into this being a race, there's a part of me that says, why in the world would you ever bet against Pep, Kevin De Bruyne, mm. Erling Holland, and Man City? Yeah. No, that that's probably it. That's probably it right there. I think and that's... Uh... I mean, I, I was kind of hoping you'd talk me into this being a super tight race and it's going to be exciting and all that. But I, th- I think you're. I think we're uh, we're very much on the same page with this. Uh, I suppose we should we should we should move on. I mean, I have other things to talk about. Okay. Do you have, did you have more on the title race? Well, I just you know, I, I anything can happen. Injuries, uh, all of that stuff. But I just the ball you know, is round. Yeah, the ball is round. You never know. Maybe yeah. that's not deep analytical insight. I'm just. It's just something to keep in the back of your head, right? Yeah, and as always, um, especially I think Arsenal fans right now, probably Liverpool fans as well, but again, after the Liverpool game and this complete sort of... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of things I can say that I don't have to edit out or that sounds crass. Or whatever they did to West Ham at the weekend, it wasn't pretty for West Ham. After that, you're feeling pretty high on life as an Arsenal fan. And I can only say, if you think I'm desperately, horribly, stupidly wrong about this, and I shouldn't be taking you, say, I should be taking you more seriously. It's typical anti-Arsenal uh, bias in the media. Like again, just 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 head over to Betson and put some money on Arsenal to win the title because the price is pretty good. If if you if you think there's a big chance of that happening, you you should you know there's money to be made if you're right. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, all right, I will move on to a different subject, which is the Spurs Brighton game. Okay, because I the ending obviously was very thrilling. I know you're a Spurs it fan. Was. You got to be super excited. It is. Uh, you you kept distance on Villa, and potentially uh, United at this point. You're in solidly in fourth place. I love mm-hmm. uh, Anja's response about blue cards. Spurs are very <laughs> yeah. likable. You got Sun back, nice assist, all of that. What I really want to ask about is Brighton. Which is now in ninth place. They've only won once in the last five games. And it feels like all of the things that we were worried about Brighton having to do with playing in Europe, et cetera, et cetera, and how that would weigh heavy on their roster has all come to fruition. And one of the things I was thinking about earlier today as uh, in preparation for this was this idea of I'm fascinated to know because of the other changes that are going on with managerial openings across Europe, and you know where I'm going Mm -hmm. with this. Yeah. Brighton so far has been so good at reloading after Chelsea apparently, you know, just essentially came in and bought all their furniture and they replaced all their furniture with even better furniture. Yeah. But now with the uh, situation with the roster depletion through injury and so forth in the sense that maybe they've uh, struggled a little bit more to bring up the, the, the deep-lying roster player to come up and just put out performances mm-hmm. out of nowhere. At this point, if Deserby gets an opportunity to move, do you think Brighton already knows who that is, and are they will they be able to repeat this success of just throwing out the next great manager or roster player and sustain this thing? Yeah, I mean, those are two... That's a really weird, long-asked question. No, it's two two interesting and very, very separate questions. 
I, I forget where I had Brighton. I might have had them as far down as ninth in my season predictions. I think I, I predicted them to have a kind of season like this because, again, they're a team who lost some really important players in the summer and now have to play in Europe as well. And it just made sense that there'd be some kind of regression there. And, again, you're Brighton. You have the budgets you have. I think being in the top half of the table still is fine. Um, so this is not a disastrous season at all. Um I think there's definitely a chance that Roberto De Zerbi gets poached. Uh, I think that that will be the sort of the, the the sadness, I guess, if you're a Brighton fan, is that you have someone who's clearly a very clever coach and he's not really had a chance to take the team any further because you have this model of having to let people go, you know, when the time comes. I I, I would trust them to keep replenishing. Listen, they they're gonna, they're not going to get every say, say signing right. Not not every random guy they pick from the big database is going to be a gem. But I think the thing to note about Brighton is that it comes from the top of the tree in terms of the leadership. You know, Tony Bloom, who owns the club, is uh, someone who made his money in the in the gambling industry, someone who understands numbers, someone who understands uh, long-term thinking and strategy, and someone who's shown that he can be a very uh, capable custodian of a football club. So you can lose guys along the way. You can lose, like Paul Winston, the sporting director. He can, he can head off to Chelsea, and you can lose your head coach. And yeah, replacing those guys are harder, and not every hire is going to be a success, but the fact that a lot of the vision comes from the ownership, not from guys that are just employed, I think makes a huge, huge difference compared to other clubs who who talk about going into analytics and, you know, we're going to have a huge department of, of things and, and numbers and calculators and stethoscopes. And it's like having an actual owner who understands this stuff, I think, is a huge thing. And it, it gives me some confidence that they might be able to, to, to keep this going for a while. But there are going to be ups and downs. They're still Brighton. There's still limits to what they can do. And if you, 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 you grab the heart out of their midfield in one summer and give them a bunch of extra games and then an injury crisis, you know, you might, they might be ninth rather than seventh or sixth. For sure. Okay. Thank you. I was, I, I, that's, that aligns with my thinking about it too. But I uh, just wondered how you felt about that. Now I want to know. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. Uh, <laughs> now what you? I was more glad that uh, that the universe survived this game because I wondered if it was going to be like you had the sort of two of the most high high press, you know, high line gung ho teams in the world. It was going to be like the Large Hadron Collider like, when we just kind of pushed the button, like that bit in in, in Oppenheimer when they're like, there, there is a tiny, there's a theory that this might destroy the universe. Like the the the, the chances aren't big, but they're also not zero what what when the whistle went and they just kind of flow at each other and you just pow like th- that clearly didn't happen uh, even though we got a pulsating and interesting game of football it was it was a lot of fun and i begin i continue to wonder what you what your um what's the word i'm looking for your level of excitement over your favorite team are you are you convinced that this is a season they're going to finish in the top four or maybe better or are they playing are they exceeding ex- expectations or playing above themselves? Um, my level of excitement is that it's fun to watch them again and I'm looking forward to seeing games in a way I haven't been for many years and that's great. But then I do me being me the eternal wet blanket. I I, I do have the sort of. You know, I can read the XG table. I know their numbers are a bit stinky. Like, <laughs> the XG has them, like, 10th or 11th. So you're probably not going to stay fourth forever if that continues. But it's so much fun to watch them. And it is a real sort of 
death or glory to dare is to do approach that is so much more in keeping with the club's ethos uh and and i also think you know you there's an element to which you make your own luck it's not the last time it's not the first time this season they've scored a very very late winner and i think having a coach who clearly believes in them and likes them and and encourages them to 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 go out there and do stuff probably might help you tip some of those things in your favor sometimes but 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 yeah the reality is like they (laughs) Their XG against is horrendous. Like they, they've got their their numbers are not great. Uh, so they they have, if if they were any other team, I was looking at, I would say that team's been very lucky this season. So it'd be wrong headed of me not to acknowledge that about the team I support as well. All right, let's talk about a team who are really struggling of late, and that would be David Moyes West Ham United. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, let's let's go there because what now for Moisey? What now, Peter? I don't know, man. You know, they had that 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 three-game winning streak. Yeah. And everybody was like, "Whoa. Pay attention to this." And then it just feels like the wheels have flown off. They haven't won in their last 5. They've uh lost outright in their last 2. And just just the performance overall this weekend against Arsenal at, you know, at home was abysmal. It was just awful. Yeah. No, they were very passive in this game, which I thought was odd because I mean, I'm not the big, I'm not David Moyes' biggest uh, fan uh, for, for a few reasons, but you don't expect them to just kind of stand and watch on set pieces and stuff. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm prepared to give him a pass because he's still responsible, but this was this was bad in a way we haven't seen a lot from this team. I think it's fair to say. Well, I don't forget they lost the previous game to United three nothing. They've given up nine goals. And scored none in their yeah. last two games. Yeah, so I also think, again, harping on about numbers, I did a segment, a short segment on this in the last episode. Th- their numbers have been pretty stinky all season, right? They've had their XG has been sort of right near the relegation zone if we arrange the league according to XG difference. And again, XG isn't everything, but like if you have like the 15th or 16th best XG in the league, you're not going to stay seventh for that long. And it's just not how the game works, unless you just dramatically and suddenly improve a ton. The likelihood is that some kind of regression is coming. And when they then lose uh, Lucas Paqueta to injury, I think he's a huge part of what they do in attack and, and opening teams up and stuff. Kudos missed a couple of games because of the off-con. Yeah, some stuff like this goes on, and then that hastens the, uh, the, the, the decline, the regression, so to speak. So I'm not super surprised that they've gone on a run of, of not winning games, but but I think that run then raises a question, which is how much patience do the West Ham fans have with David Moyes? Because it's such a fascinating thing to me. On paper, it's not hard at all to make a case for David Moyes having done a great job at, at West Ham on paper. You know, he won a European trophy. He's finished, you know, he's finished uh, sixth and seventh in the league, which is not nothing for West Ham. That doesn't happen that often for West Ham. It, it really is. I mean, if you look at Everton's finishes in the first tier uh, of English football, they did finish fifth in the Premier League back in 1999 under Harry Redknapp, of course. But aside from that, you know, finishing seventh, finishing sixth, this is very, very good stuff. Winning that European trophy... I mean, I, I'm one of those, I don't think a Premier League winning the Europa Conference League is ever a great success because, you know, you don't even go here. Like, this tournament is not for you. But then again, if you're a West Ham fan and you went to that weekend in Prague and you had a glorious time, this is a great moment in your life. And I'm not going to begrudge them that. You know, that would have been fantastic. So 
there should be a lot of uh, gratitude there. But it is very, very turgid to watch this team. I think if you're someone who pays to watch West Ham every week, it's not a lot of fun a lot of the time. This is a team that doesn't press. They just kind of sit back and wait for the opponent to do stuff. And then you try to hope to hit them on counters and, and set pieces. They don't create a lot of chances. Again, we I, I talk about the XG being bad. I mean, that's just kind of nerd talk for they're not creating a ton of chances, <laughs> really. And I just think that they've not been a great team to watch this season. And of course, you're top half of the league and you've had some absences. And it's not a bad place for West Ham to be. But anyone who's a West Ham fan who just kind of feels like this man isn't what this club represents you know it plays really boring football and it doesn't use any of the kids from the academy either that's another thing that i know some west ham fans are upset about like there's nothing wrong with looking at this thinking this is just no fun and it, it should be more than this uh, and um I, I would refer you to tottenham even if tottenham were sixth and not fourth i think the mood would still be very excited because they feel like what the team is doing represents uh, represents what the people want the club to be, and that is not the case with David Moyes' West Ham right now. Yeah, I, they just feel like uh, a roster of players that can be so much more than what David Moyes puts out there on a week-to-week basis. And I've said it a hundred times, especially as watching when they were playing United a couple weeks ago. It's just, it's like this is maddening to watch and there's so much attacking <laughs> talent it's it's like driving around on a sports car with nitrous oxide and the coach will never hit the nas as they say in <laughs> fast and the furious they just won't do yeah. it and it does make you wonder if a postacoglu or a deserbi had this exact same roster what they'd be getting out of this team that David Moyes just seems to refuse to do, which then also makes me think, you know, David Moyes has been doing this a long time. He really knows football. What does he know about this roster that I, the average viewer, don't know? Yeah. Hence why he plays this way. I've completely, like, lost focus now because the only thing I can think of is uh, (laughs) scenes from The Fast and the Furious with David Moyes' head on Vin Diesel's body. And then I want someone to go out there and just grab audio from various David Moyes press conferences and interviews and put it over the act to do some, do some audio editing. Now, I, I hope no one does this, because if you have the talent to do this and make it look good, then you should be gainfully employed and you should not have time to, to work on side projects such as this. Maybe there's a sort of a video editing student out there who can get some really juicy scenes from the Fast franchise and replace Vin Diesel's face with with David Moyes' face and put some of the great Moisean moments of audio into the Fast and the Furious. And I'm, I'm going to struggle to think of anything else for the rest of this podcast, but I'm going to, I'm going to make... I'm, I'm going to sorry I've best. distracted you in such a manner, Lars. I'm not a good I mean, friend. It's, such, it's just an amazing image. What a franchise that would have been. The Moyes and the Furious. <laughs> but I mean... <laughs> so, 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 so I've completely derailed this now. Let me dr- drop into Peter Welpton mode and said, next up for West Ham, they're playing Nottingham Forest and then no, Brentford and now then you Everton. Got me th- and then- now you got me thinking uh, about what kind of car David Moyes would drive. No, it, exactly the same one. That's how it works. He has to drive oh. all the cool cars that Vin Diesel. Oh, it's just, okay. it's Moisey. It's Moisey in there. Um, I thought he have like an Impala or something. No, no, no. That 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 would no. Maybe put Vin in an Impala. Just see what happens then. You know, put Moisey in the good car, and then Vin Diesel over in an Impala, just going family all the time. But in the next couple of games, they've got Nottingham Forest, they've got Brentford, they got Everton, they got Burnley. So really, they should win some of those. But but if they you know if they stuff it up against West uh, against Nottingham Forest, and then later on against like Everton and Burnley, like because I just think 
I think even when things were going well, there was some frustration and some disagreements within the fan base, as I understand it. And now they've played seven games in all competitions without winning. And they got both pantsed and trucked at the same time against Arsenal. And I, I think this, even though they're still top half of the table, I think that could turn pretty toxic pretty quickly. And what I would say is that even if that's... You can make a case for that being unreasonable. I also do totally understand uh, the West Ham fans who are frustrated with this. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Family. Uh, what, what did you just say? Family. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I've, I've watched the Fast and the Furious. That's what it's all about. Family. <laughs> I, I did not have Lars doing Fast and Furious quotes on my uh, bingo card today. Uh, okay. Man, I have a, a friend that lives here in Dallas that is a Luton native. Mm. And he's a great guy. And he's back home this week. And he had tickets. Is he now? Yeah, he had tickets oh, for no. this game. Yep, he made it. He's trying to get tickets to go to the game next weekend against United. He shouldn't. He's clearly a Jonah. You know, this is this is terrible. This is <laughs> the worst game of their season. Yeah, I felt terrible for poor Dan because he was in attendance as Luton lost against Sheffield. <sighs> and that was not what anybody expected. Uh, that, I, that made me so upset. Um, I wasn't able to watch this because of when it was, and I've only seen extended highlights, so I don't have the answer as to why this happened. I just want to express my frustration uh, at Luton, uh, really putting themselves into contentions, contention, playing a team that had not won away from home all year. They'd played 11 games and gotten two points on the road so far, Sheffield United. And Luton, as we know, have been such a handful at home. And then in the most unluton manner possible, like they had 75% possession and produced 20 shots, uh, but but lost. And that against Chris Wilder, Sheffield. Chris Wilder, who's been on like a one-man mission to make himself the most obnoxious person in the league the last few weeks, <laughs> beats Luton, who we all like. At least I do, because, you know, I do too. for reasons. Yeah, this was very upsetting to me, Peter. I, I, I was I was shocked. Uh, as this was happening, I could, it was, you know, all those games were happening at the same time. And that was the one that just kept sticking out to me as it got worse and worse. And uh, I just can't for the, you know, that's what makes these games funny. It's what makes the Premier League great is you just never know what's going to happen on any given uh, particular weekend. And at the end of the day, they're both relegation candidates. That's what makes the league so great, says the man who does not write a weekly betting column. Like that one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Luton, what are you doing to me? That's oh, bad. Sorry, I forgot about that <laughs> part. I got a few other things this weekend. It was a reasonable weekend overall. But Is this, that what you're mad about? Annoying. Did you put them down as a big winner? And you? No, and, and I'm mad because I've you just, look bad. I've just no, I've just decided that Chris Wilder might be the thing that annoys me the most in the Premier League at the moment. So him going to Luton, who I have the softest of soft spots for, and 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 getting a result was very frustrating to me. He, he's gone. The, the man has gone from being no nonsense to being all nonsense. I've got no time for it. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, good on Sheffield United. And again, through gritted teeth, I have also had to acknowledge that he he has made them marginally less terrible. Uh, Aston Villa defeat aside, there have been some signs of life uh, from Sheffield United. Uh, but I did not see this coming at all. I have to say. Well, I don't think anybody did. And for those of us that care about the Hatters. 
or have friends that are Hatters fans. It was a, it was a, especially for those who traveled all the way around from the United States to England to attend said things. I felt bad uh, for all of it. That was a, not a result any of us were looking to. And now United uh, goes to Kenilworth Road next Sunday. And I, as a United fan, uh, I wasn't looking forward to this, and now I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's like, oh, no, wait. Now they're going to be geared up to try to get the most out of this, and I don't know. It's just that. Well, that brings us neatly on to, I think, I think we're running running long a little bit, Are as we? we always do, but I think, I think a Man United segment right at the very end is a nice place to end it, isn't it? Because, I, oh, I'm, first of all, I was thrilled with this game because the second Scott McTominay came on, I put 10 English pounds on him scoring a goal. At a very com- at a very good price on the on the on the betting things so that that's uh, that's uh, paid paid for a very good dinner for me. Thank you very much, Scott McTominay. I appreciate your services. Uh, but also uh, being the Man United fan and a, a avid Man United watcher and a man who picks up details in this team that I often miss. How do you feel about where you are right now? Aside from the fact that it's fun to have a striker that can kick the ball into goal, that that's an exciting development. Yeah, aside from that, how that, are we doing? That's good. Uh, did you see my idea? I th- Throughout on the uh, on the Twitter after Scott scored the goal, I have this whole great bit that that fans should do from the stands about Scott McTominay. Mm-hmm. You remember remember the uh, movie Flash Gordon? Uh, I, I well not uh, immediately. I'm aware of it. And sure. the Queen song Flash Gordon. Yes. So I think to the theme of Flash Gordon, the new song is Scott. Ah, uh, he'll win every game for us. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! Okay. Well, sorry. That is certainly a That's... direction I did not expect this to go in. But sure, <laughs> just edit that part out. I'm just being no, a no. Clown. Stays in. Stays, it stays in. in. Peter. Stay... No, no, no. <laughs> Peter sings Queen. Is, uh... <laughs> Possibly should be a feature. We could get something new out from the back catalog every time uh, you're on. All right. So here is. I'm a United fan, but here is. Is <laughs> Peter comes up with new. Songs for the stands to sing. Uh, look, here's the thing. I, you can look at the numbers. You don't even have to be a stats nerd. You just have to watch a United game and understand and recognize that despite winning three in a row and uh, being undefeated in four games and all of those things and, and some good things happening, just tactically and overall, they are as fragile as they could possibly be. Mm. It just they it's just too they just look very I'm trying to think like all anytime they lose the ball and the other team is coming at them I just have very little faith that they're going to they're going to hold together especially if they have the lead like I was shocked they held on to this and actually uh ended up winning this game just because Villa is so good and has been so good at home maybe not great as good as they had been of late um, but it's just United is just a very dysfunctional machine to me that just happens in very small spurts to figure out uh, how to uh, uh, exceed their abilities. And I know they're playing above their numbers and all of that stuff, and they're going to regress mm-hmm. to the mean and all that at some point. And I think the numbers just prove out what I see with my eyeballs, which is there's little bits and pieces of hope there, but overall as a structure, it still is a big work in progress, which continues to befuddle me as a fan because I still can't tell you, in all honesty, if Eric Ten Hag is the right guy or not. Because I remember those Ajax teams were so good and so much fun to watch. 
hmm. at the time he was there. And when I watch United play, like when I watched those Ajax teams, my reaction was, man, that is a exquisitely well-managed side. And when I look at United in the last you know season, I look at them and go, is anybody actually managing this group of players? Because it just all feels like a bunch of guys just doing something and not a, a cohesive, thought-out plan. Yeah, that that seems like a fine summary. Since you brought it up, there. Thank XG you for coming to my TED at, talk. No, no, yeah. I, I, come on, that was still like half the length of one of my normal answers in these conversations. So that's absolutely fine. Um, since you brought up the numbers, I think their XG difference per ninety is almost exactly the same as Bournemouth's. So you know that's where we're at with it. They're slightly better than Nottingham Forest, slightly worse than Tottenham and Everton. Okay. So you know that, yeah. that's kind of where we are in the Let, landscape. Let's let's <laughs> let's. Um... Let's summarize it even more simply than this. United sit sick. Twenty-four. We're into uh, twenty-four weeks in. They're sixth mm. in the table. Scott McTominay is their leading scorer, and they have a goal differential of zero. Yeah, they have scored the same number of goals this season as Luton, uh, which is probably not <laughs> what we expected to see in mid-February. <laughs> But uh, that's where we are. Uh, the, the big upside, I think, for United, first of all, I, I should mention, by the way, this is not deep analysis, but Andre Onana did some work in this game. Uh, good stuff from him, I thought. Okay, so can I have? Can I express my concerns about that? Go for did, it. Didn't United already have an amazing stop shop, uh, shot stopper? Stop shot her? Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, they did. They did okay. that. They so, did that. Yeah. So what was the what was supposedly the big difference they're supposed to get out of Onana? Well, first of all, Onana is not the best paid goalkeeper on the planet. Like that De Gea contract, you had to get the hell out of that because that okay. just money-wise was an absolute disaster for the club and just underreported what a catastrophe that was. But yeah, uh, he was meant to add uh, stuff to your build-up. But I still think... Uh, Eric Ten Hag has mentioned this because you've had such an unsettled back line uh, because you haven't had your sort of ball playing guys there as often as you'd wanted to that's made it very difficult for him to sort of create that build up structure that you want I'm inclined to buy that explanation but then again I have seen Tottenham with Emerson Royale and Ben Davies at the back kind of play out semi-competently so you know maybe maybe we shouldn't buy that uh, I just this far into the season I find Anana to be frustratingly slow to move the ball mm. out of the back like I can't tell what he's, he's standing there waiting for all the time and when he finally decides to play a ball long it inv- invariably either goes to the opponent or out of bounds and so his level yeah. of accuracy at distance was something I was anticipating he was going to be very good at now I didn't do a you know, and maybe he's never been good at that. And there's just some sort of mythical ball skill that uh, wasn't necessarily accurate when we got him. Uh, I've just continued to be frustrated with how much he turns the ball over in those situations versus actually being some sort of progressive, uh, you know, creator of a, a build out of the back. Um, and, and when he does play just a simple short ball to somebody right in front of him, it just seems to take too long for him to do it. And I get frustrated with that. So there you go. Th- those are all entirely sound and valid observations. I just want to note for the record that I, the person who quite likes making fun of Man United, <laughs> wanted to just make the point that Andre Onana played really well, and you, the Man United fan on the conversation, he, did not want to make that point. <laughs> I, he he made some really good saves in this game. I, I don't, he did. I, and that's fine. 
I just the other things that he was supposed to be bringing to the table continue to frustrate me. I, and there were sure, other good, sure. really good performances out of this game for United. Uh, uh, Dallow continues to have a really good season overall in my head, and that cross in particular yeah. was really good. And uh, since I was unable to convince my wife to uh, supply me a baby. Uh, that I could name Kobe Manu. Wow. I'm gonna get a puppy instead, and uh, okay, and, and name it Kobe or Kobe. That's yeah. again, <laughs> again. Not sure how to follow that. Uh, yeah, the kids are all right, just just not in your household, I guess. Um, I feel like we've between the between the Queen singing and the uh, unexpected insights into your private life. I feel like we've reached <laughs> we're, we're we're past childbearing years, has, Lars. So okay, okay. <laughs> it's more. You know, I last I do want to ask you this question because sure. last week there was um, this is a whole thought experiment. So in the game last week against um, uh, West Ham. There was that mm-hmm. moment where Granacho scores and goes and sits on the wall, and on one yeah. side of him is Manu, on the other side of him is Oiland, and it was instantly an iconic photo. Mm. But is there anything to the idea that not included in that photo was one Marcus Rashford? Oh, I haven't thought about that at all. I just, I don't know. It's just the kids hanging out together. I mean, Marcus Rashford is like the granddad of the crew. But at this you know what? Point, He's not know? that much older than those guys in reality. I, well, yeah, I guess. But in terms of experience, you know, he's he's lived quite a bit. I think he's in a very different space in sure, his career. Sure, I agree. But if if that if that photo becomes as iconic as maybe it potentially could be, I mean, it's already been shown a hundred times in the week mm-hmm. since it was taken. And we look back on it and go, man, those are the good old days. It is interesting to me that it's a photo that does not include Marcus Rashford. Yeah, I guess that's just a little bit random. You could also end up looking back at them and like, whoa, that that that, that was the Federico Makeda of his generation. That guy. <laughs> like, I don't know which, I don't know which of the three is going to fall into that bracket. I personally think none of them, to be honest. I think they all look actually quite very quite good, um, but. I think that's just a little bit random. Maybe he was in a different part of the pitch. He was. Maybe he was he across the field. He do, I, he'd probably done sit with those guys in the dressing room. You know, this is a generational thing. Or uh, maybe not a full. Make, that makes me. It makes me sound like Rash was really old. He's not. But I mean, clearly there's a difference in in stuff there. But there's not. But it does drive to the point that of the players that are actually performing and powering United at this point, it's not Marcus Rashford. I mean, he continues to be one of the biggest points of frustration for fans mm, at yeah. least he is for me um no, i agree uh and and the other three that we just mentioned are all actually you know playing quite well it's definitely a feature of the season that those three are having to do more heavy lifting than than should be reasonably expected of them uh, at this point in in their careers i mean my new in particular is 18 and you're asking him to come oh in gosh. and be a regular in, in center midfield it's, it's crazy but that's where you've ended up and it is, yeah, I know you're right. It's because Rashford, who's who's always been a bit of a streaky player, I think, in his career. He is 26 now, by the way. I had to check this because I just realized I don't is know he how actually, old he okay. is. He's, I thought maybe he was still he is 26. Okay. No, no, he is, he is 26. Um, maybe uh, maybe Hoylund and the lads just didn't want to come with him to that nightclub in Belfast and they're, they're not on the same wavelength about that stuff. I don't know. But no, 5-19 and 19 is not the goal return you were expecting uh, for Rashford this season. That is That is absolutely certain. I don't have any great expectations for how this season is going to play out uh, for Manchester United. 
They're lucky that Newcastle has struggled a little bit. Uh, I thought mm. beating Villa at Villa and doing, I think, yeah, doing the double over them this season is a tremendous achievement based on how good Villa has been this season. Um, but I, I still, I, I, I tend to be pessimistic. I, I'm, I'm very, very doubtful that they're going to pass Villa and end up in fifth by the end of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And you're right about their performances not being that great, but it just. It, it, it does fall to me to point out, you know, one defeat in the last eight, you know, six wins in the last eight yeah, in all competitions. The, the youngsters are playing well. The team isn't looking super, uh, super functional. But uh, weirdly, it, it is the Ten Hag firefighting thing again. Like he's finding ways to not get fired and to stop it from spiraling out of control. And the team maybe isn't developing the way you would want it to, but they're kind of trudging along and they're they're getting close to being within reach of some because you got to bear in mind fifth is probably going to be enough for the champions league this season right yep so they might sneak into that and then you'd say that's but another season that's not but but you still think when the sort of um when the ineos the new guys who are running things when they've done their big evaluation that that's the interesting thing whether they decide we want to let the, we want to give this guy another chance to to do stuff with more competent leadership, and that that's been an interesting thing to follow. I uh, will be at Old Trafford for the next uh, home game against Fulham uh, towards oh, the end of February, so okay. I will I will be watching these things. I'll be seeing Man United in the flesh, which I very much look forward to because you do often like pick up on stuff that's not as obvious on TV when you do things like that. So uh, uh, hopefully that'll be a good game. Uh, right. Looking forward to the sort of Minu versus uh, the, the big sort of uh, Casemiro versus Palinia sort of midfield uh, tackle machine uh, off will be fun. No, uh, can I just throw out a real quick uh, kit nerd uh, note from this particular game? You can just don't expect me to reply to it with any sort of sensible info. <laughs> so this season, for the first time since the fifties, United have red shorts as an option and they wore them once against Galatasaray but in this particular game it's the first time United have worn red shorts in a league game since the 1950s there you go yep that's <laughs> it's, it's that, a, that's a that is a that's a thing that that's happened. a thing that happened today yeah, and, in uh, the resort this is why you're such a breath of fresh air in here like I would never bring that up uh, I, I'm, I mean, not even remotely interested. But maybe some of the listeners are. Maybe you, know, you never know. About you never these know. Things. There could be somebody. Please in write Norway in. Write in on uh, letters, postcards, stuff, tweets. Probably better. Stuff. Uh, like how that. do we feel about kit watch? Should Should Peter Wilpton have a regular sort of kit watch, or should we just make him sing Queen songs every time? I mean, which one of those things would be more uh, entertaining? He'll score every goal for us. Um. All right. <laughs> By the uh, way, we, we just, should end this. This has gotten completely no, no. Out we of got control. one more thing to think? talk about because it just happened. Did we? Chelsea oh, yeah, won Chelsea. again oh. against Palace, and they uh, scored twice in injury time to make it a three-one game. Now I didn't get to yeah. watch the game. Did you get to happen? Did you happen to view it? Uh, with one eye, I'm uh, I'm currently visiting family, so I'm not fully. Uh, I wasn't okay. fully committed to to watching uh, this one, but I've. Uh, well, I, as I understand it, they were a bit rubbish in the first half, and then the bits that I watched were from the second, where they seemed livelier. Uh, but but I, I sort of saw rumors that they had either one or no shots in the first half, and I think if you if you ca- if you don't have a shot, 
over 45 minutes against this Crystal Palace teams. I do wonder if that's one of the things that should just automatically relegate you. There should be some kind of subclause in the Premier League rules that that's just automatic demotion for that. Uh, but uh, by all accounts, they were much better in the second half. And like, again, this is one of those things I've probably talked about too many times on the resort already. I'm keen to hear what you think, but my take, all the listeners know by now, I kind of think Chelsea will be fine just because I think the players are so good. And it, 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 the squad is a complete mismatch and it's a challenge for Pochettino to make it work. They don't have a striker. I'm not going to say all the same things all over again because you guys know what I think about this. I just think some of these players are so good that, that I, I honestly swear to God, I think Fernandes, Caicedo and Gallagher is a midfield three that could potentially win the title at some point. I think that's where the ceiling is, honestly. But they're all very young at the same time. It's like Southampton last year, only with more money. And uh, so currently it's very, very difficult. And also, as I've said a million times before, their XG is kind of good as well. So, I mean, I think they've been unlucky. If they just had a striker, they'd be fine. Yeah, I saw, when I saw it was 3-1, I thought, oh, they actually uh, had a really good result. And then I saw it was only 3-1 because they scored twice in injury time. And I don't know if, you, if you've seen any of the goals, but Enzo Fernandez's goal as the third one is uh, cruel. He just he ends up standing in the box and gets to pick out the upper left corner in just the most uh, 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 park soccer way. It's, it's almost it's unkind. If you get mm. to see the highlights, so it's a good stuff. I saw, I saw it was the second Gallagher goal, I, the, the winner I, I saw, which was good. I like seeing Colin Gallagher play. This is me being slightly partisan because I kind of I kind of want him to go to Tottenham. I think he'd be great in an Ange Postacoglu setup because he's got so much energy and he's always running forwards. Uh, so I kind of want him to stink out the place for a couple of months for Chelsea so Tottenham can buy him in the summer. Well, but he did not do that here. No, it's interesting too because after Declan Rice so... Um, respectfully did not celebrate his goals against West Ham, his goal against West Ham. Connor Gallagher did no such thing. He celebrated quite a bit against Palace. Now, I know he was on loan from Chelsea to Palace when he played at Palace, but he had a really nice run for Palace when he was with them. And I don't know what the rules are about not celebrating against your former team. Do loans not count in that rule? I, 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 I certainly wouldn't compare the two. No, um, I, but g- given that, I mean, West Ham picked up Declan Rice when he was released by Chelsea as a youngster and kind of gave him a career. So uh, I, I really think a bit of a bit of gratitude is, is in order there. Except, you know, loyalty. I mean, as someone who's uh, had an Irish connection for a lot of my life, loyalty is... <laughs> famously not one of Declan Rice's best qualities, having actually played three games for Ireland before deciding he wasn't all that Irish after all. So it kind of depends on... I just remember remember Connor having a really nice run with Palace that season. And in fact, I think Palace really wanted to keep him, et cetera, et cetera. And I I don't know. It just... He he scored two nice goals today, so he helped power Chelsea to a win that they very much need, and they're up to 10th. Somehow, some way, I think he is. They are one point I, I think, behind Brighton. I'm pretty sure Conor Gallagher is not just uh, you know, he's not just a Chelsea Academy product. I'm pretty sure his entire family are Chelsea fans sure. as well. I'm sure. So like he is proper Chelsea. And actually, I'm pretty sure he would have left Chelsea if he in a lot of other circumstances. A player of his quality who's done well out on loan and is very often just had to really fight to to be taken seriously and to to get his minutes. Uh, I I think a lot of other players would have pushed for a transfer at some point, but I think he really wants to make it at Chelsea. It means a lot to him. So uh, no muted celebration in sight for him, I don't think. 
Lars, um, if uh, resort listeners have not, they should follow you on the Instagram because your photography mm, skills they of your travels. Not allowed. Are, oh, they don't. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm glad you've I'm glad you've brought that up because then I'll get loads of requests that I'm just not going to approve because I use Instagram for just like personal stuff and I only ever allow people who I like know personally. So please do not apply to. Oh, I be feel a, so I'm exclusive. Just, it, it, it's just nothing personal, dear listeners. I care about all of you, but like you, you cannot follow me on Instagram because it's all nonsense i don't it's a i just that's, that's my purse that's my safe space well okay then i'll share this for those sitting around the resort pool with us we are in the final stages of planning lars's great trip to texas mm. yeah I'm and i'll be I'll, I'll are we gonna do a photo in which i'm wearing like a cowboy hat or something we have to do that oh yeah we'll get you stuck in front of every landmark we'll get a photo <laughs> of you with barbecue sauce all over your face <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and, you, and, uh, we'll have a we'll uh, have a picture of you running to the bathroom after we take you to Taco Bell. We'll have one picture of me looking out the uh, window of the Texas School Book Depository. No, <laughs> just waving gleefully out the window. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we'll have you standing on. Here's the. This is really dark, but at the School Book Depository, Dealey Plaza. The street in which that rolls by where the uh, assassination took place, right on the spot, there is a white X on the road. It has really? been there forever. So one of the it's the weirdest thing. I don't know why people are uh, attracted to doing this, but people will literally run out in traffic and stand on the X so that people can take your photo while you're standing on this infamous spot. Well. Well, let's not do that. Welcome uh, to I, Dallas. Check out the yeah, 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 exactly. Let's just uh, yeah, let's buy let's eat some uh, this is going to be terrible for my diet by the way oh my god this visit is going to be bad for for all, all sort of last time i was in america like you guys you got to eat, eat a lot of stuff over there yeah hey, we're big eaters uh, here. Yeah, okay all right mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best before that and then and then I'll, maybe i can make me can, can go slightly wild uh, while i'm over there we'll see we'll see how that goes all right well i guess i'm going back to my wing in the resort now yeah, yeah, yeah. You can trudge back over. No, you're going back to the suite, to the Peter Oh, Ruffin the suite, suite yeah. Where, where, where no one knows what happens inside. <laughs> the mis- except you occasionally hear what sounds mysteriously like bits of Queen coming out from the, coming out from the window. <laughs> much to the consternation and concern and overall disgruntlement of the uh, rest of the visitors and staff at the resort. Thank you so much for hanging me. Uh, hanging, <laughs> hanging me? Good Lord. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Oh, let's keep it in. Why? Let's keep it on. Let's keep it in. Why not? Thanks for hanging out with me. I think this was the goofiest episode of The Last Resort so far, uh, which is either a good or a bad thing. Please write in on Twitter or postcards to let me know. Was this good? Did you enjoy this level of nonsense? Should it continue being this nonsensical? Circle uh, yes or no. <laughs> fold yeah. the paper and give it to your friend to hand it to me in class. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, Thanks uh, so much for visiting, as always, Peter. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye.